Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. All right, well, you can open your Bible or turn it on, whatever you use, to Luke chapter 22. We are in part 17 of our jaunt through the book of Luke. We started all the way back in December with the uh, events surrounding the birth of Christ. We're going to be ending a few weeks after Easter and the events surrounding the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Uh, But before I get into this, I, I try and remember to do this most years, but I would like for you to look at your neighbor right now and say, happy birthday. Today we celebrate our ninth birthday as a church, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, give it up for being nine, right? Um, here's a photo from that day. This is, we show this photo often. It is literally our only photo from day one. So if you, if you were around in those days, well, I did a deep dive on Facebook this week. Like on, I, was, I was stalking some of you guys that were around back then. Did they post anything? Apparently nobody did. <laughs> I don't know. But if you have a photo from that day, let me know. Just DM me, whatever. I'd love to see some other photos. But this was from our first day nine years ago, and we're really, really excited. I mean, there's really nothing big about turning nine. You know, you're too old to be cute. You're too young to be taken seriously. We're just in that spot right now. But next year, we turn 10. We're going to go all out. You know what I mean? We might, we might rent the Tower Theater or something. I don't know. It'll be great. Don't miss it. 52 weeks away. But happy birthday. We're so thankful for you guys being a part of this church family and be a part of what God's doing here. Uh, now, before we get into the word, let me just ask you a quick question. How many of you would say that you have a good memory? Raise your hand. You have a good memory. You're good at remembering dates. You're good at remembering people's names. Good at remembering anniversaries. Some of you took your hand down there. But so again, how many of you have an above average memory? Raise your hand. <clears throat> All right. Now, if you're with someone and they have a below average memory, would you raise your hand? They won't remember. They won't forget. They won't remember this anyway. So go ahead. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> I've discovered over the years that I have a, uh, I'm like hit and miss with my memory. You know what I mean? Like Christy will remember the weirdest details about what we were wearing on our third date. She'll remember every theme of every kid, kid's birthday. We have four kids. That's a lot of birthdays. You know, you ask, I don't, I don't remember any of that, but you ask me some sort of random sports trivia, my memory bank is rich. You know what I mean? You ask me about some sort of random geography or history question, I'm all about it. So what I'm learning is that I remember really important things. <laughs> no, no, no. So today as we get into Luke 22, we come to one of the most tender and intimate moments that Jesus has with his disciples. And it's in a moment that is called commonly the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. Jesus ends this moment by telling the disciples to do this in remembrance of me. He says in one of these, in one of this, uh, the most important moments of his life, he looks at his disciples and says, don't forget In fact, I want you to do this meal again, and when you do it, I want you to remember what I've done for you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into this Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 7. We are leading up now to the final days and hours before Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. 
And so where we are in the book of Luke now, we're kind of starting that journey between now and Easter Sunday. So we are at what's known, again, as the Last Supper. It says this in verse 7, Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They, they left, found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. Now, Here's what I know. I know that there's a few in here that are Bible scholars that have absolutely zero questions about what we just read and you know it all already. But for the rest of us who may be a little shaky in understanding every word we read in the Bible, I thought we'd take a moment and just talk a little bit about what's going on here. For example, it's the day of unleavened bread. I wonder how many of us know what that means. Uh, It also says that the Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. Some of us are like, yeah, I know a little bit about what that means. Some of us are like, I have no idea what that means. And a few of us, maybe we do know all that it means. But just like anything we read in the Bible, there is a story behind the story, right? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, there's a story. Now say behind the story. Don't you know that the story behind the story is typically bigger than the story you're reading, right? If I asked you why you live in Oklahoma, there's a short answer to that question. Oh, I got a job here. My family's from here. I love the weather and the landscape. It's amazing. (laughs) That's the quick story, but there's a bigger story behind the story, right? It might go something like, oh, you know, I was living somewhere else and and I was looking for a job and I, I was praying one day about where God would want me. And I go to this coffee shop in a different city and this person that I knew, this friend, I ran into him and they said, oh, I know this perfect opportunity in Oklahoma City. And so there's this huge God story about how you're here or who you met here or why you came to school here or when, how your family came to live here a hundred years ago. I don't know, but there's a story behind why you live here, right? And it's bigger than just, oh, I got a job here. And that's what I mean. In verse 7, there's a story going on, and it starts with, it's the day of unleavened bread, and they had to go prepare the Passover lamb that had to be sacrificed. So here's what I want to do today, and I hope this is okay. I want to to give us a little bit of biblical history, all right? I want to talk some Bible school theology. Is that okay? Good. Otherwise, this would be awkward. I'm glad some of you are in. First of all, This ancient culture, that the Jewish culture that Jesus not only was very much a part of, but he grew up in, was governed, if you will, by the word of God, which we know today as the Old Testament. This is basic, we know this, but the Old Testament, which is about the first two-thirds of the Bible, was all that Jesus and his disciples had at the time, but that was the word of God at the time. And the most cherished part of the Old Testament was the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. Everyone say Torah. Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Many Jews would memorize the Torah. And so in the Torah, there is a rhythm to life established by God. For example, your time, how you spent your daily life, 
There was six days for work. There was one day for rest. It was the rhythm of work and rest established with the Sabbath that he set apart wholly unto the Lord. That was a rhythm of life established in the Torah. Well, there was also rhythms that happened to you on an annual basis. For example, there were feasts and festivals and celebrations that God wanted his people to celebrate annually. God wanted his people to be celebrating quite a bit. And often these celebrations would lead people on a holy pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which is what Jesus and his disciples in Luke 22 are doing in Jerusalem. They had went there for what is known as the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which was seven days in which the people would celebrate something that the Lord had done by utilizing a commemorative, if you will, using bread without leaven. And then they would also be coming together for a meal known as the Passover. And it was a whole week no, set apart as a holy week for the Lord. The Passover, which was one of the most sacred meals of the year, sacred feasts and moments, if you will, on the Jewish calendar. Some of you know exactly the whole story of where the Passover story originates. But as a reminder, I want to just give us a little bit about this annual feast that God set apart for them to remember. Everyone say remember. God wants them to remember something. And he wants them to remember the act of God that led the Israelites being freed from slavery in Egypt. Remember the story, right? You remember Moses? Moses is called by God to go to the Pharaoh of Egypt and demand that he would free his people. Moses goes to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. Yeah, he says, let my people go. The Pharaoh refuses. God sends a number of plagues upon the Egyptian people that are terrible until the last one being the plague of the firstborn dying. Every firstborn would die unless the house that they lived in had the sacrificed blood of a lamb painted on their doorposts. God had given the Israelites an instruction to sacrifice an innocent lamb and that they would use that for a meal, a sacred meal they were going to have, but he would take the blood and if they would, they would paint it on their doorposts, God would save them. Now I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version, but I'm just going to go to Exodus 12, 13 and 14. It says this, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Everyone say Passover. Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So the blood, when God sees it, he'll pass over. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. This is why Jesus and the disciples are doing it thousands of years later. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord a lasting ordinance. So if we took the time to read the entire story of the book of Exodus, you would see quite a bit of instruction about, you know, how the meal was to be readied that night, how they wanted to prepare and cook the meat, and specifically the lamb that was sacrificed for this occasion, how they should apply the blood over the doorposts uh, to be a sign for the Lord that the Spirit of God, when it comes through, would pass over them. The house became protected by the blood of the Lamb. You know, that's a high-level home security system. Are you all with me? Are you all following me today? Okay. So the sacrificial Lamb became the central symbol 
of God's grace and love and freedom for his people, and it became the central piece to the Passover meal. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, hey, John, I need you to go and prepare the meal. Verse 13, I'll highlight this. He says, they left, when Peter and John left, they found things just as Jesus had told them, which is like, duh, right? Of course they found a guy carrying a pitcher of water just like Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, when you prepare for an important meal, man, you got to make sure you get all the details right, correct? A couple weeks ago, it was Christy's birthday. She turned 29. I'm not a smart man, but I know how old my wife is. Some of you are like, you married? Yeah. I was in charge of preparing the birthday meal. And this is a very dangerous proposition. I've been known to ruin a meal or two. One time, I, <laughs> one time I cooked chicken for my family and some friends that had come over for my house. And I grilled the chicken and it looked beautiful. It was nice and grilled on the outside. And then I put it on their plates and they cut it and they took a bite and it just wasn't grilled on the inside. <laughs> How many know that no one likes raw chicken? I was like, my bad, give me that drumstick back. <laughs> Oops. The good news is last week with Christy's birthday meal, I, I think I, I didn't have any major failures. I did all right. But it took a lot. Special occasions take a lot of preparation. Like I said, I think I did a good job. Like one to 10 scale, what would you say like? Okay, it's not about me, but she said 10. <laughs> Let's get back to the Bible. So um, Jesus since Peter and John, two of his most trusted disciples, he says, I want, you to go, I want you to go prepare a meal, and I want it to be a 10. You understand? He's like, I want it to be a 10. I want it to be just right. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you, Keline, before I suffer. Jesus is eager and passionate to suffer. I mean, I feel like lines like this should make us more grateful to Jesus. He didn't just suffer. He was eager to do it for you and me. Verse 19, and he says this, and he took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, I think this is incredibly important to notice what Jesus highlighted from the meal. He held up the bread and he held up the cup or the wine. So he holds up the bread and wine. These two things are the symbols he chooses to use. Now, up until this point, the main central symbol of the meal was the sacrificed lamb. That was the central symbol. And so you're wondering, what happened? Is the, is the lamb missing? Like, did Peter and John forget the lamb? Maybe John was just like, hey, Peter, I got an idea. Let's go vegan. Let's do an impossible Passover. <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on, but probably not. That's just my guess. There's actually a bit of biblical debate on whether Jesus and his disciples actually had lamb at this meal. And it's not really important to know if they did or didn't. Some people believe that they didn't have it, 
but because there's no evidence in which Jesus speaks to the lamb being present at the meal. But some people believe, well, of course it's there. It's implied because Peter and John went to prepare the Passover and the lamb is always there. But regardless if it's there or not, it's clear that Jesus decides to take the focus off of the lamb and to put it onto two different symbols. And so he takes it off of what was, and he's about to speak to about what's to come, right? And so here's this lamb. There's no lamb meat there, but most biblical scholars believe that Jesus excluded it on purpose. There's a powerful picture that we're able to see on the other side of the cross, isn't there? And we kind of know where it's going if you know this story, but Jesus never talks about the traditional experience and the traditional centerpiece of the Passover meal. He never talks about the innocent lamb that was sacrificed at the temple. He didn't look backwards to an old story. Instead, he held up the bread and the wine to symbolize his new covenant that was coming with a new Passover lamb. And this meal, he was doing something. He was doing something that was new, and he wanted them to remember it. Jesus was intentionally demonstrating that he was, not, he was now become the new and only and last Lamb of God that will be sacrificed for all people for all time. The Lamb that was the centerpiece of the meal was no longer that Lamb, but instead he was now the Lamb of God sent for the sake of all people. Jesus is like the blood that will provide you a new Passover will be spilt by me. Jesus says, when you trust in me, you will be hidden in me. Don't you know that the Israelites, they were hidden by the blood on the doorposts of their house. Jesus says, you can be hidden in me. My blood will be on the doorposts of your life. So listen, Colossians 3.3 says that your old self is dead, but your new self is now hidden in Christ. I love that verse because I'm always like, God's like, hey, Tim, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm hiding in Christ, God. And they're like, no, 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 I don't see you where you're at. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. Sorry. And God's like, no, 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 I'm trying to see you, but all I see is Jesus. Where are you at, Tim? You're like, I know, it's pretty great, right? All you see is Jesus. I won't be sarcastic with that, don't worry. But I just love that picture, like, when Jesus sees me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees Jesus. Or when God sees me, he doesn't see my sin, he sees Jesus. Because I'm hidden in Christ. His blood is on the doorposts of my life. God, God's wrath passes over me because of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says when he talks about the cup. Verse 20, he says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So he's saying this sacrifice that will be represented by my blood, it's going to be poured out for you, and this will create a new covenant, a new way of having Passover moving forward. No more innocent lambs will be uh, sacrificed. Instead, the lion becomes the lamb, remembering, and we must remember the sacrifice that Jesus makes. So here, I want everybody to say, remember. remember. Say, Remember. Now say Jesus. Jesus. Remember Jesus, right? And so here we have the final Passover and the first communion. And I think that's really powerful to consider. It's the final Passover and it's the first communion. 
So there's a story behind the story of when Jesus says, hey, Peter, John, go prepare the Passover. And by the way, there'll be a dude carrying a pitcher of water. Make sure you pay attention to him. There's a story behind that story, isn't there? There's a lot going on here. And I want you to notice in John 10, Jesus says one of his most important statements that he ever said. He says, no one, this is 10, John 10, 18. No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down by myself, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. Jesus declares that he is a willing sacrifice. The Jewish leadership wanted him dead. The Romans, they certainly carried out an execution, but no one took his life from him. You understand how powerful that is? He laid it down willingly in complete surrender and agreement with our Heavenly Father. God chose His Son, Jesus, to be the final Passover lamb, to pay the penalty for sin for all who would believe. Jesus came to earth to die. He knew how He would die through the cross. He knew where He would die in Jerusalem. And He knew when He would die. He knew that he would die on Passover day as God's Passover lamb. At the very same hour that he died, thousands of innocent lambs were being slaughtered at the temple. And on a hill, Jesus was being crucified on a cross as the last sacrifice for all time. He willingly became the substitute dying in our place for our sin. And here's what I know when I get to this point is that for someone who's exploring God, this is hard to understand. The scriptures teach us, and God has told us, that all have sinned. We've all sinned. And the result of that sin is a separation from God. Meaning God has no sin in him, therefore anything that has sin cannot be in relationship with him. Therefore, there's a separation that happens. And when we're separated from God, a death occurs. So all sin equals death. The only thing that has life is God. So if we want to have life, we have to be in relationship with God. But because all of sin, we've been separated from God. And now we are destined for death. And God's mission with humanity has always been the same. He wants to rectify the sin problem. He wants to bring resolution to it, and he wants to bring us back into a relationship with him. So he's looking for a solution, and the only thing that he could find as a solution is that something innocent has to die in place of the one who is guilty. For years, it was these innocent lambs. But Jesus was eager to share this meal before he suffered because he knew that he would be the one to be the solution for human, humanity's problem. He says, I will die for you. I will take your sin and I'll put it on me. I will play the part of the lamb sacrificed. It's called substitutionary atonement. And I want you to ca catch that because a substitutionary death is probably one of, it's probably the most important thing to understand when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and with God and understanding how it all works to understand that God allows the innocent to die for the guilty. 
And since we've all sinned and we're all guilty and we're all destined for death, we all will either die or we need the innocent substitute to give us life. We need the innocent life of Jesus to take our place in order to move us from death to life. You guys understand how significant that is? So Jesus sitting around this table, it's more than just a meal, isn't it? He's changing everything. They've been celebrating this feast and this festival for thousands of years. They've been looking back to a story when God rescued them and freed them and they, he set up a system for them to atone for their sins. He's like, listen, I'm changing everything. In fact, I'm gonna give you two new symbols. There's actually a third. This happens to be himself, right? But I wanna give you two new symbols. He gives us the bread and the cup because he is the lamb. And the bread represents the body that is broken for us. And I'm sure when he lifted up the bread that night, I'm sure the disciples went back to the times when he said, I'm the bread of life. Imagine how powerful that moment was. And he's like, this, this, this bread represents my body. But they also knew that bread would sustain them and give them life and nourishment. Bread was a symbol of provision. And here's Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. And then he says, here, this bread, it actually represents me. It represents my body that's about to be broken for you. It's about to be given for your behalf. It's no longer the lamb in the, in the temple. It's now me. I'm the bread. And then he says, the second symbol was the cup. Now, what's cool about during the Passover meal is there's stages to the meal. And there's, this says, if you, if you saw the verse, it says, after supper, he took the cup. Now, they would have several drinks and cups of wine through the meal. It wasn't that strong a wine, don't worry. But they'd have several cups. And after the meal, meant it was on the third cup. So he's about to, he's, he's holding up the third cup. And he says, I want you to remember this new covenant that I'm making with you. This cup will represent my blood, which is the new covenant that you'll have in me. There's a new way of life coming. But it's the third cup, similar to the third day. When Jesus rises from the dead and ultimately overcomes death with life, he's like, listen, this cup represents your transition from death to life. And when you take it in, you're taking in more than a cup. You're taking in my resurrection. You're taking in my victory. You're taking in my life into your life. You can now be hidden in me because you are under a new covenant, which is found in the name of Jesus alone. The Lamb of God, sacrificed for all people for all time, one name above every name, the name that every knee will bow to, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of all. He is the last Passover lamb, the one and only true innocent life that can take you from death to life. This moment is everything. So today we get to remember and we get to receive the bread and the cup. So I want you to go ahead and get these little small things that are just, they're honestly, they're just symbols, right? I mean, 
You just hold on to it. Don't open it yet. But I want to lead you in a moment of remembering before we take communion today. We're not always good at remembering, are we? So today I want us to remember what Jesus has done for us. In fact, to do that, I'm going I'm to pray and kind of lead us through a moment of thinking about different things. But to do that, I think it's most appropriate for us to stand. Would you guys stand with me today? Worship team is going to come as we stand. But as we stand, I'm, I'm just... I'm going to invite you. If you just bow your heads, close your eyes, just kind of get just you alone with the Lord. You're going to hear my voice, but I'm going to quit talking a few, for a few moments here and there. But just go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. And I do want to say this to anyone in the room, anyone in the room that you're here and you're exploring God. You don't even know what you believe about God yet. You, you, you're here and, and, and some of this is making sense, but some of it isn't. But if there's something that you feel in your heart right now, you feel like God is knocking at the door of your heart saying, will you, will you let me into your life? Will you let me into your life? And if you're there and you're like, I just need, I need to get my life right with God. I want to say this to you. Communion was actually created by Jesus for his followers to remember. So the only people that take communion are followers of Jesus. But communion also creates this curious invitation to anybody that wants to join God at his table. He says, come on in. All are welcome. Those who believe in me can be saved. And so if today you want to, if you feel like the Lord is knocking at your heart saying, it's time to surrender to me, it's time to follow me, commit your life to me, quit trying to do life on your own, it's time to just say yes to me. If that's where you're at, you can just pray a simple prayer. This prayer just represents a surrendered heart, but you can just pray it right where you're at. This is where you're at. In fact, I'm going to invite all of us to pray this prayer. We don't do that often in this church, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask all of us to pray this prayer. Even if you pray to prayer similar to this already, it doesn't matter. We're just praying. But I want you to just say this. Just whisper this prayer. Everybody repeat this. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your first time to say this out loud, mean it with everything you have. Say it one more time. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask for forgiveness. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I commit my life to you from this day forward. If you just prayed that prayer and it's the first time and you meant it, you get to have your first communion with us. But I want you to just take some time now to remember. Everybody in the room, I want you to remember. First of all, I want you, I'm going to lead you through four things. The first thing I want you to remember is what Jesus has saved you from. Take a moment and remember what has Jesus saved you from. Literally remember it. What has Jesus saved you from? I'm going to give you just a few moments to reflect on that. thing I want you to remember. I know he saved us from so many things, but the next thing I want you to remember is what has Jesus forgiven you of? And that can be a hard thing to remember. So many of us have selfishness and darkness and hatred in our past. 
all sorts of sin that we'd rather not remember. I'm not asking you to pull up all that stuff, but I want you to just remember how much he's forgiven you of. Remember it because it is so, so good to think about the goodness and love of Jesus forgiving you. We are now hidden in Christ. We have his blood over the doorpost of our life. Take a moment, five, 10 seconds. What has he forgiven you of? Remember it. Next, I want you to remember how God has provided for you. Remember, he says, I am the bread of life. I will provide, I will sustain, I will give you life. I want you to remember all the ways that the Lord has provided for you. Just take a moment and remember. Remember Jesus. He endured something he didn't have to, but he said, I willingly lay my life down for you. I want you to remember it. Remember what he's done on the cross for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've saved us from. Thank you for forgiving us for everything we've done wrong. Thank you for providing for us and giving us life. Thank you for the cross of Jesus that, that Lord, you didn't have to do, but you willingly did for us because you love us. Your mission is us and us alone to redeem us, restore us, make us new, to give us life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We remember. And we take this today. Go ahead and open the bottom where the bread is. It's a little wafer. You can open your eyes and open that up and just reveal the bread. And we're just going to take this together in the name of Jesus. Thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for your sacrifice. And then open the side of the cup the juice. We thank you for the covenant, the new covenant found only in Christ and Christ alone. The blood of Jesus painted over the doorpost of our life that we get to experience salvation through the innocent blood of Jesus poured out on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. That's communion, friends. That's what it means to say, Lord, I remember. I remember what you've done. We're going to worship. And during worship, this altar's open. You can come and you can pray. We have a prayer team here that would love to pray with you. But don't check out yet. Stay connected in this moment. Allow yourself to worship. Even if you're serving, just stay in the room. We'll get out there in a minute. Stay in the room. Let's worship the Father this morning. Lean in to his love.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.